0: And rolling. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power parasha Friday, December 10th. 12 10 21. 12 10 21. Is that like a thing that goes backwards or forwards? Who knows? By the way, save the date, December 25th, Chinese dinner in a movie. It's gonna be a party Saturday night. If you're in town, definitely join Frisco, us. So Frisco Kid, you said, right? Frisco Yid. Oh, Frisco. Sorry, Frisco. No, kidding, Frisco Kid. Um, Okay, so let's jump into the parasha Torah portion this week is by Yigash, and it is quite dramatic. We have the revelation, the big reveal. It's Yosef this whole time. It's not just the Viceroy. It's their brother. That was the huge info that dropped, the huge intel that he drops on them. The reunion, official reunion of Yosef and his brothers and his father, everybody moves down, 70 strong. The Jewish people, or not a people yet, the Jewish family, B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, including Yisrael, Yaakov himself, 70 strong are now living in Egypt. In fact, there's even been been meetings, as we read um, yesterday, meetings between Pharaoh and Yosef's brothers, five of the brothers stand before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, hey, how are you guys? What do you do for a living? That sort of thing. We're shepherds. Uh, to keep them separate. so Pharaoh doesn't get any ideas about them. Took the weaker ones. Anyway, there's meetings. And Yaakov himself, Jacob, meets Pharaoh. He blesses Pharaoh. And that ended the, the famine, as I mentioned, at the end of yesterday's session. So now let's jump in to reading number seven. So here's the scope of what we're going to do today. We're going to finish off the reading with the seventh reading. And then we're going to jump to the Haftar, which is pretty cool. You're going to like today's Heftorah, I think. Um, let's share my screen. Vayigash 7, Genesis 47, starts with verse 11. 47, 11. No 7 in Atlanta. Do you notice that? Yeah. I don't know that I like that. I kind of like the old 7 11 I know that you know there's regional differences. Like up north, we don't have the Waffle House. I well, that, this not Yeah, but I know. But I, I looked it up. under 7 Yeah, it's a regional thing. They were kind of blocked out of the region. Anyway, my kids like 7 11 So when when we go to Florida, yeah, on you know road trips, uh, that's they they get they get their stuff. All right, Genesis chapter 47, verse 11. Here we go. Joseph settled his father and his brothers. The big move. He settles them in, and he gave them property in the land of Egypt. I mean, Joseph could pull that off, right? He's the viceroy. He he hooked them up with some land in the best of the land. He gave them the best of the land in the land of Ramses, Ram, Ramses in English, Ramses in Hebrew, as Pharaoh had mandated. Okay, Rashi says, "Well, what's Ramses? We talk about Goshen this whole time. What's going on here?" So Rashi says that is part of the land of Goshen. Part of Goshen is Ramses. So it seems like Ramses was the town and Goshen was like the county. Yeah, it's like Fulton County, Virginia Highlands. Little little neighborhood, little little hood. Ponce Highlands, Morningside. Well, I don't know why I'm mentioning random neighborhoods. Whatever. So there was Goshen, and within Goshen is Ramses, and that's where um, the Jews, that, that's where Yosef's family, the, uh, the Bnei Israel, that's where they settled. Let's continue. And Joseph sustained his father and his brothers and his father's entire household with bread, according to the young children. What that means is, What does it mean according to young children? According to what was required for all the members of their household. In other words, he took care of them and their needs. He didn't just generally take care of their needs. He took care of the specific families and what they needed. If they had a lot of kids that he gave them more resources, if they didn't have then whatever the size of the family is as how he allocated the resources. He took care of them properly. Now, now we get back to the famine. Okay, very interesting narrative. This is going to, from here to the end of the Torah portion, is going to talk about the effect of the famine on Egypt and Joseph's efforts in providing food for everybody and how that turned out. Very interesting conversation. Or narrative, I mean narrative, not conversation. Now there was no food in the entire land. There's no food. For the famine had grown exceedingly severe. And the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan were exhausted because of the famine. Now, this is going back to the beginning of, of the seven years. Rashi says, its scripture returns to the earlier topic to the beginning of the famine years. This is not, just to clarify, when, when, Yaakov, when Jacob comes down with the family, with the Jews, the famine ends. So when we talk about now there was no food in the entire land, this is going, rewinding two years beginning of the years of famine, what was it like? Because as the narrative continues to move forward, the famine abates and life is good in Egypt. That's how it moves forward. We're moving back and recalling what happened in Egypt in these two years. Now, we know what happened with the brothers coming down to buy food and he called them spies and blah, blah, blah. But what, what was going on in Egypt? So that's just to clarify, that's... That's, what we're, that, that's how the Torah's narrative flips. And this is not a problem. As the Talmud says many times, the commentaries say, Ein Torah. There is no Torah is not necessarily limited to chronological order. It doesn't strictly follow chronology. It can it, many times, and here's one example where it, it goes back a little bit to fill in some gaps. This expression is powerful. The land of Egypt and land of Canaan were exhausted because of the famine on every level, hungry and, and psychologically and emotionally, everything, spiritually, just, just exhausted because of this famine, not having food. And Joseph collected all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan with the grain that they were buying. So he there was no food except for what he had stored up. Because remember, they, st- they also tried to store up the food, but it rotted. Remember we had that before? With the food that they tried, the people try to store up, Try to store it, it, it rotted. So the only food that was left was that which was collected and preserved by Joseph. And then he charged them for it. So now the government, Joseph is collecting all the money for the grain that they were buying. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. What's interesting here is this kind of foreshadows the Exodus. What happened at the time of the Exodus? The Jews took the wealth of Egypt with them. But what we see here now is that how is the wealth of Egypt built? It was a lot of it was built off of Joseph. Are you with me? In other words, it was kind of Jewish earned money and it ended up with the Jewish people. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Are you with me on this? Yes. Sort of. Okay. I'm going to assume the answer is yes. Let's go 15. Now, the right, money.
1: But, no, but it says that Joseph collected the money from others. No.
0: Correct. He collected it from all the people who were buying the food, the Egyptians right. and the Canaanites. What I'm saying is that Egypt, the Egyptian coffers, right. got built on Joseph's ingenuity yeah. and his planning and his... his kind of like the first Jewish banker. Yeah. Finance then, executive. But the, right. But then the Exodus, when the Jews emptied out Egypt of its wealth... This is, uh, this is the money, a lot of it was the money that Joseph had brought in anyway. So it was family money right. on some level. Now he brought it in for Pharaoh and for Egypt, but it's just that commentaries point out that it, it does come full circle a little bit with the-, with the, with the Okay, actions. I get it, thank you. Verse 15, no problem. Now the money was depleted <laughs> from the land of Egypt and from the land of Canaan. In other words, they, the people ran out of money, but they still needed food, right? So they, they were buying food, buying food, buying food until they ran out of money. And the Egyptians came and all the Egyptians came to Joseph saying, give us food. Why should we die in your presence since the money has been used up? There's no more money and we need food. And Joseph said, OK, you have no money, no cash. Give me your livestock and I will give you food in return for your livestock. Give me animals. Pay for your food with animals if the money has been used up. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in return for the horses and for the livestock and flocks and in cattle and in donkeys and he provided them with food. In return for their livestock in that year. So originally he charged money, they ran out of money. He then charged livestock. I mean, he was gonna move on to Bitcoin if Bitcoin was accepted back then, if it existed, but I mean there was no Bitcoin, so there was livestock. That area, year, that year ended, that was year one of the famine, and then and they came to him in the second year, right? We know this is already a flashback because the Torah said that Joseph spoke to the brothers about being the second year. Now we're saying. Talking about the second year is coming up. So clearly there's been a flashback. here. So they came to him in year two of the famine and they said to him, we will not hide from my Lord for insofar as the money and the property and animals have been forfeited to my Lord. Nothing remains before my Lord except our bodies and our farmland. So they told him basically, we ran out of money. And now we have no livestock either to purchase the food and we're still hungry and we still need food and there's no nothing's growing and you have all the food. So what do we do? All that we have left is our bodies, ourselves and our our land, the actual farmland, which is desolate. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our farmland, by us and our farmland for food? In other words, they said, we'll sell ourselves as slaves to the government, our bodies and our farms, so that we and our farmland will be slaves to Pharaoh and give us seed so that we live and not die and the soil will not lie fallow. I guess there was magical seed that would work even in this time of famine. Let's see Rashi on that. Um, oh, here we go. That makes sense. Actually combining the narratives. Um, what does it mean, give us seed? Rashi says, with which to sow the soil. Although Joseph said, and for another five years, there'll be neither plow nor harvest. As soon as Jacob came to Egypt, blessing came with his arrival, and they started to sow, and the famine ended. So we learned deceptive, so the deceptive sow. So basically, the famine was, going to, was ending at that time, after two years, because of the arrival of Jacob, um, and the blessing that he brought. But... The people needed seed at this point. Okay, so food was going to grow, but just because the famine ends doesn't mean magically food starts sprouting out of the earth. You still need to plant. And to plant, you need seed. So they said, give us seed. So Joseph bought, oh, give us seed in exchange for the farmland. You give us the seed, we'll give you the land. You'll own the land. You give us the seed, and then we'll, I guess, split the crop somehow, some arrangement. So Joseph bought all the farmland of the Egyptians for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold each one his field. For the famine had become too strong for them, and the land became Pharaoh's. So it turns out Pharaoh owned all the land. And he transferred the populace of the cities from one end of the boundary of Egypt to the other end. Only the farmland of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they ate their allotment that Pharaoh had given them. Therefore, they did not sell their farmland. So only... The priests did not sell their farmland. We see that even the Egyptians respected the priests, their, their priests. Okay, this transferring the populace is interesting. Let's see Rashi on this. Why did Yosef transfer the populace? Rashi explains. Joseph transferred them from city to city so that they would remember that they have no more share in the land. In other words, they sold their land to the, to the government. So to emphasize the fact that you don't own that, that field anymore, he made sure he made everybody move. All right? he, set, he settled those of one city in another city. Scripture did not have to write this except to let you know, J- Joseph's praise, that he intended to remove the stigma from his brothers, that they the Egyptians would not call them exiles. Basically, he did this also. There's a second agenda so that his brothers wouldn't be considered outcasts, foreigners, newcomers. Newcomers, everyone's a newcomer because everyone's moving to a new city. So everybody was mixed around. So his brothers would feel at home in this confusion. All right. Yes, Joy.
2: I know we haven't finished, but it seems awfully harsh to me.
0: It seems harsh to me also. I don't, I don't think we're going to have a, 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 a resolution to that. I, I agree. It's It's ruthless. It's ruthless. It's the, go- it's the government, you know, saving up and, you know, being proactive uh, but, and, and then selling it to the people. Took it from the people originally. Now you're selling it back to the people. They have no more money. You, you sell it to them for the animals. They have no more animals. Then you basically get their all their farmland in exchange for food. And then you move them around. It, it does seem harsh. It seems like it was. Look, we live in a democracy. And I think, I know, that it's hard to relate to other forms of governance. I don't know if 3, you know, 35, 3600 years ago, if this was, you know, if this was that unusual. That doesn't mean that it fits into our sensibilities today. Doesn't. I'm I'm going to be straight up with you. I, I, I find this also to be harsh. But
2: he,
0: Rabbi, he says... Even when Rash says he did it for the benefit of his brothers so that they shouldn't feel so out of place. So he made everybody out of place. Uh I mean, we have another way to do this. I mean, is there another way to displace millions of people for 70? I mean, there's there might be another way to do this, yeah. Throw a party. I don't know. Whatever. I mean it,
1: But we I, do do we do have the US government not to the scale, but it retains the right, and sometimes it does it. Eminent domain, it has displaced people
0: yeah it has right it has and it does have that power and it's used hopefully in a way that's only when necessary was this necessary i don't know seems like joseph is packing the conference i'm not i'm not trying to lead into the to criticism i'm just saying it's it is a little bit it is a little bit um i think it's it feels a little harsh what what he's doing Benefit right. is, the benefit is that, uh, that uh, you know, it's, it's a, it, it built the built Mishkan. I mean, do ends justify the means? I don't know. But ultimately, the wealth came out with the Jews, and some of it went to a golden calf, okay? But after that, the rest of it went to, uh, to build the, the tabernacle. Mark.
2: Yeah, I've got a note here from, it says, Targum Onkelos. It says, the verse does not mean, as for the nation, he transferred it to cities. In other words, he moves the rural population to cities.
0: Mm. So that's what it said. He moved only the rural population. So those <laughs> so that they, own the farmlands, he moved them so into so the cities so that they wouldn't have the farms anymore. Okay, yeah. all right. I mean, it's still it's still a hard. government take over the farms. I mean, <laughs> look, I, I don't know that we're going to get. Sure, that's what I said. I don't. We're not going to get an answer. I don't think we're going to get to an answer. I, I'm accepting the fact that I may that this may never feel 100 percent you know to my sensibilities today but i also know that i wasn't there then and there's i'm sure more pieces to the story that i don't know so so we continue even with a little bit of uh curiosity here like how oh, is that anyway uh, but we're on the same page let's uh let's sh- let's continue uh we did verse 21 we did verse 22 he respected the priest so he didn't touch the priest. Okay, verse 23. By the way, this respecting of the priests continued in the times of a later Pharaoh, the one who dealt with Moses. Remember when Moses and Aaron were going in and out and speaking to Pharaoh? How were they able to go? If the Jews were slaves, how could Moses show up to Pharaoh and start speaking to Pharaoh? Like, who are you, Moses? Because Moses was from the Levite tribe who were the priests of the Jewish people at that point. And priests were respected by the Egyptians and by the Pharaohs. So priests were never touched. The Jewish tribe of Levi, the Levites, were never slaves. Throughout the entire 210 years of slavery, the priests, the Jewish priests were not enslaved. That's why Moses could walk freely in and out of the, uh, the palace. Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have bought you and your farmland today for Pharaoh. <laughs> An announcement, I own you. Behold, I... I'm giving you seed. You have seed. So sow the soil. I love that. So sow the soil. That's great. I would write that. Lovely alliteration. Verse 24. And it shall be concerning the crops. Because now it's complicated. Right? So you have farmers. The land, the actual land, the deeds belong to Pharaoh. The seed, the deed and the seed. So the deed belongs to Pharaoh the seed pharaoh i mean the government's giving the people so they're so they're do they're still working the fields so now when crops grow who owns the crops like what's okay. going on who owns the crops the torah says you shall give a fifth to pharaoh everything that grows you shall give a fifth to pharaoh and the remaining four parts shall be yours 20% goes to pharaoh 80% you keep so pharaoh owns the land you own the crops 80% of the crops for seed, for your fields, for your food, for those in your houses and for your young children to eat. 80% is yours for you. 20% is for Pharaoh and the land is Pharaoh's. They replied, listen to this. Wow, you have saved our lives. I guess they liked the deal. See joy, it couldn't be so bad. They liked it. All right. you right, have... <laughs> I'm kidding, right? You have saved our lives, they said. Let us find favor in my Lord's eyes and we will be slaves to Pharaoh seems like they were excited about it. Verse 26. So Joseph made it a statute to this day concerning the farmland of Egypt for the one-fifth. In other words, even as history evolves, I don't know to what point this law was... I I don't know if in modern-day Egypt today, the, the, the fifth rule still applies, but the Torah is saying to this day, to whatever that day was, that this rule in Egypt still exists that um, a fifth belongs to the government, that you give a tax of one-fifth, 20% to the government. Only the farmland of the priests alone did not become pharaohs. The priests were never touched. The Torah portion concludes with this verse and Israel. This is not referring to the person Israel, Yaakov, but his family, the people or the family Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen and they and they acquired property in it. They were landowners and they were prolific and multiplied greatly. They were prolific and multiplied greatly. That's the way the Torah portion ends. Let's toggle Rashi. Let's see if we well, it's a long, long reading that we went through today. Let's see if we have some Rashis here. Um oh, what did they mean when they said we will be slaves to Pharaoh? They were like willingly offering this, they were offering to pay him this tribute every year as a statute that will not be repealed. Basically, the 20%. So Egypt owns the land, the the people own the crops, but only 80% of the crops and 20% goes to the government, and that's the way it is. Okay, all right. So that's the end of the Torah portion. Let's uh summarize what we did today. We learned about the settle settling of the Jews of the Jewish family, the family of Yaakov in the land of Goshen, specifically in the in the, in the area called Ramses, or yeah, Ramses or Ramses, and um, he spoke about Joseph's wheelings and dealings. Look, for he did his job. If uh, if this was a a for profit company, he did well. He would make the board and the investors very happy. He did his job. And as I said, he got, he, got, he got Egypt to have a lot of wealth, a lot of international wealth because people from other countries came in to buy food. So he collected a lot of international wealth, which, and I guess this is gonna be my go-to theme for today. I mentioned it before, but I'll just kind of wrap it up with this as well. When the Jews leave Egypt, centuries later after the whole slavery thing, so slavery hasn't started. So slavery is gonna start and then it's gonna end. When it ends and the Jews leave, God says, "Tell the God, God tells Moses, tell the people, clean out, clean out, take the gold, silver, clean everything out. It's, it was a quite, a lot of it came through Joseph. A lot of it came from other countries and it represents this idea of taking the wealth and, and elevating it for ultimately for the Mishkan for a higher purpose to serve God. Anyway, that's one perspective on it. And uh you know, a lot, definitely, a lot, of, a lot of room, a lot of uh, food for thought. Let's jump now to the Haftorah,
1: Rabbi. I don't know if it has any significance or connection, but our history, as it unfolded, as you know, you know, with the Holocaust, Israel, a Jewish, all sorts of Jewish property was, was, you know. We don't like that. We don't like that, right? We
0: don't like that. That's why. I mean, it's 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 this. You know, when a government confiscates. Gets. Government, you know, maneuvers to take stuff from people and whatever, it can rub. It understandably, you know, maybe doesn't feel so great. Again, we're our own people. How much art and wealth was looted by uh, by the Nazis? Now, that was just straight up looting, obviously, in the context of the Holocaust, which is horrific, start to finish. This is in exchange for food. They were being supported. I don't know. All right. Let's do the Haftorah. The Haftorah is very interesting because it taught, you know, one of the, 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 one of the big dramatic moments in the Torah portion is right at the beginning of the power show where um, Yehuda approaches Yosef, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, that's the first Vayigash, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, and Yehuda, Judah, approached, approaches the viceroy, who he doesn't know as Yosef. So there's like this clash of the titans. You have Judah, mighty Judah and the mighty Joseph. And in Jewish history and Jewish thought, these represent two forces within our people, the Judah force and the Joseph force. And there's, there's a, lot of, it's a lot of interesting dynamics. It says, actually, there are going to be two Messiahs we didn't talk about this in the in the um this can happen mashiach of course it says there's mashiach ben david and mashiach ben joseph there's mashiach the son of david who's from the tribe of judah and then there's mashiach this, uh, from from the tribe from the lineage or from the yeah from the lineage of uh, of of joseph of Yosef. what it means exactly is for another time but there's like two different dynamics the judah and the joseph dynamic and they're they're clashing a bit in the beginning of the historical portion Judah stands up to Joseph and says, you got to let Benjamin go. Eventually, Joseph reveals his identity and they reconcile. But there's this kind of um, this clash. Historically, there would also be a clash, two different kingdoms of the Jewish people, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You know, the Jews, after they got Israel, they got autonomy and there was King David and King Solomon. But right after King Solomon, that very next king, Rehobam, the kingdom split. It fractured. 10 tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. So we have this idea of like the kingdom of Judah and Joseph, symbolic of the split. And this Haftorah, which comes from the book of Ezekiel, is all about Mashiach and how in the ultimate time, finally the fracture, the split, will heal. The Judah and the Joseph, which represent the fracture amongst our people and really you know, fracture the... the fracturing in general, is going to heal and come together. And you'll see the haftarah talks literally about Judah and Joseph as being two distinct elements that will come together as one in the Messianic era. It's a beautiful haftarah. Let's begin. Ezekiel writes, the prophet Yecheskel says, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying this was the prophecy. And you, son of man, take for yourself, listen to this, one stick. Take for yourself one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. That's one stick. And take a second stick. Take one stick, another stick, and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. So on one stick, you're writing about Judah, and the other stick, you're writing about Joseph. Now what do I do? I got two sticks with, with with an engraving, with a carving. Now what? Verse 17. God says, and bring them close one to the other into one stick. You see that? Ah, oh, it's so nice unity, right? Two sticks and take bring the two sticks together, and they shall be one in your hand. Sorry, I hate to interrupt. Sure. Why did your say stick? My translation says tablet. Tablet. I have no idea. In the Hebrew, it's eights. Oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a wood tablet. Right, that's what this says. Yeah. Eights means wood. Right. So is it a stick like a like a round cylindrical long thing like we call a stick or is it a wooden tablet? Probably doesn't make a difference. I a tablet, it could be a tablet, sure. I don't know if you think, I don't know if it means stick literally or like a piece of wood. Either way, to write on one stick this write on another stick that, uh one Judah one Joseph and bring them together be one in your hand. And when the children of your people say to you, saying, will you not tell us what these are to you? Right? People are going to wonder why you have two sticks and what you're doing with the sticks. Hey, Ezekiel, what's with the sticks, bro? Say to them. Perfect dope. It's a conversation starter. It's a conversation piece. Say to them. So says the Lord God, behold, I will take. When Mashiach comes in the Messianic era, I will take the stick of Joseph. Which is in the hand of Ephraim and the tribes of Israel's companions, and I will place them with him with the stick of Judah, and I will make them into one stick, and they shall become one in my hand. Whereas right now the kingdom of the Jewish people are fractured into two kingdoms: the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the Ephraim kingdom, the Joseph kingdom on one side, and the Judah king. The Judah was the southern kingdom, and the Joseph was the northern kingdom. The Judah kingdom and the Joseph. (laughs) There's 10 tribes in the north. This was more than Joseph, but it's a general catch-all phrase. So whereas now there's two kingdoms, I want you to take two sticks that represent the splinter, all puns intended. Aha, you see what I did there? And bring them together. And when people ask, what are you doing? This is what the future holds, unity. And the sticks upon which you shall write shall be in your hand before their eyes. And say to them, So says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations where they have gone. Again, this is a future redemption. After the exiles, after the diaspora, the, the spreading out of Jews and other nations, four nations, I, God says, I will take them from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side, and I will bring them to their land. And, to, and when I bring them to their land, to Israel, I will make them into one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be to them as shall be to them all as a king one king is huge i forgot to mention i mean maybe it was implicit but i forgot to specify when the jewish people split into two kingdoms they had two kings that's why it's called two kingdoms i mean it may be obvious but i should flesh it out there were kings at, king saul was the first jewish king then king david then king solomon saul david solomon that was it for unified kings that was it Three generations. That was it. And then split two kings, a southern kingdom, a northern kingdom, a kingdom of Judah, a kingdom of Joseph, two different kings. And it created a lot, a lot of drama. I mean, the whole book of uh, the prophets, the book of of, of Avnach is, is all about this this stuff. Anyway, but what's the prophecy? A future time awaits when we're going to get together when everyone's going to be gathered and back home live together as one with one king and they shall no longer and they shall no longer be two nations neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore no two nations no two kingdoms and they shall no longer defile themselves with their idols with their detestable things or with their transgressions and i will save them from all their habitations in which they have sinned and I will purify them and they shall be to me as a people and I will be to them as a God. That's, that's pretty cool. I like that line. I like that little last line. So again, this is the messianic era. Everyone's going to be one, no more idols, no more, no more chasing things that are false. Everyone's going to be on the same page together with each other and together with me. They're going to be my people. They're going to want me and I'm going to want them. Kumbaya. And my servant David. Avdi David. Melech Aleim, and my servant David, who by the way is from Judah. So although everyone's going to come together, who's going to, who's going to be the king? You with me on this? The kingdoms will, will fuse. The kingdoms will, will, will reunite. But who will be the king? Who will be Mashiach ultimately? My servant David. Not literally David, but Descendant of David shall be king over them, and one shepherd shall one shepherd shall be for them all. And they shall walk in my ordinances and observe my statutes and perform them. And they shall dwell on the land that I have given to my servant to Jacob, wherein your forefathers lived. In others, which land? Israel. And they shall dwell upon it, and they and their children, their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. And I will form a covenant of peace them and everlasting covenant shall be with them and i will establish them and i will multiply them and i'll place my sanctuary in their midst forever this is the third temple that will be eternal that is the message here and my dwelling shall be over them and i will be that means my presence my dwelling my divine presence and i will be to them for god and they shall be to me as a people notice here reverses the order before it says they shall be my people and then i'll be their god and here it says, I'll be their God and they should be my people. In other words, either way, somebody has to make the first move. Either we say we're in and then God says, great, I'm in. Or God says, I'm in and then we say we're in. You with me? Sometimes everyone's waiting for the other party to start. So the prophet says, the prophecy is really both ways. God says, if you, if you raise your hand, I'll raise my hand. If not, then I'll raise my hand first and then you raise your hand. Either way, let's, uh, let's, let's get together. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel and my sanctuaries in the midst forever it will be obvious to the whole world. When the temple rises once again, Are Okay, that is after. Yes,
2: I have a question where, where it says my servant David will be king over them mm-hmm. and there will be a single shepherd for all of them. Does that does that mean there'd be two different people or is
0: David simply the
2: shepherd and vice versa
0: mm. same thing same thing David is the shepherd David was a shepherd before he was a king he was that was his job so that's what and David was chosen because he was a shepherd kind of okay. like Moses very similar um, yeah no it's the same same guy and it's not actually David it's obviously a, right uh, a great 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 whatever Grandchild of, of David. So that's the Haftarah in a nutshell. Basically, it's, a, it's, it's really beautiful. It's a haftar of hope and positivity and healing because we live in a fractured world and our history as a people has been fractured. We had a relatively short period of time where, where we were not fractured. It's, it's, it's a little bit mind boggling. The whole Jewish kingdom and the Jewish, Jewish, Jewish nation only stood in unity for not that long. And um, the promise is a better time, a time of peace when we're, when we get along with each other. And the message kind of is, we can't really be on the same page with God if we're not on the same page with each other, right? Can't really be unified with God if we're fractured within. It's kind of it's inconsistent. It's like unity begets unity and disunity or fracture, fracturing begets fracturing. Like, if I can't stand, right? That guy, how close am I with God? Because that's God's child also. So like, I can't stand that guy. All right. But you love God. You don't like you, but you don't like his kid. It's, it's an awkward conversation, right? I love you, but your kids, ugh. I mean, like, is that it's anyway, food for thought. I, I have another question. Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but
2: It says, "My servant David will be king over them." It says that twenty fourth verse. But then it says, um, "Where is that?" It says that later. It says a few lines down. It says, "And my servant David will be prince for them."
0: So why would he first be king and then he'll be prince? And is it all the same person? He's gonna same person. He's gonna have a dual role: king and a prince. But now we have to define what the king role is and what the prince role is. Prince doesn't mean the son of the king. It's not prince the way we refer to it. Prince means the nasi. Nasi means the spiritual leader. King is the physical leader, the, 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 the warrior in chief, right? King is uh, like a, a military position also. Je, the, the, um, whatever the expression is, right? So king is like the physical part and the prince is the spiritual part. Mashiach will be both. As Maimani says, we studied in the, in, the, in the "This Can Happen" course. Mashiach is both fighting the wars of God, fighting the battles physically, and also learning in Torah. He's got both qualities—the physical and the spiritual components fuse into one. I want to conclude with one with, with an insight. With one insight, it says in Kabbalah and Chassidus that who is what, what are these? Okay, Joseph and Judah—they were people, but they represent something also. Yosef, Joseph, represents study. Talmud, study. And Judah, Yehuda, represents action, which we've spoken about many times in the Judah motif. He's like, gets things done. Judah is, right? So the question is, here's the battle between theory and practice, study and action. Is it better to study or is it better to do? If you have an hour, should you study Torah or should you go out there in the streets and wrap to Yeah, what should you do? That's the question. Okay, that's a very, very specific form of the question. <laughs> Chabad on my brain, right? But it's a very, it's a very specific form of question. But the question is in general, like philosophy or pragmatism, like what's the, like, even when it comes to, to morals and ethics, do we look at um, kind of an absolute abstract, Perspective on ethics, or do we go like a consequentialist perspective? Like, bottom line, what does it, what does this do? What is, how does this affect the world? So, this is the, the, this is another form, another iteration of this battle between Judah and Joseph. Judah, Yehuda is action, Joseph is, is, is study. The Talmud asked the question, which is greater, study or action? And the Talmud says, study is greater. Why? Get this, because it leads to action. So, ultimately, action is king. And that's why the ultimate king will be Judah. So we live in a world where we need Joseph. We need to study. We need to, right? We need, of course, studying. We need to study to get inspired. But ultimately, what's the end game? To do. So this Shabbos, let's commit to do. Let's commit to a mitzvah, starting with Shabbat candles, right? Tonight in Atlanta, candle lighting time is, let's do this. 11. What is it? Five eleven. Five eleven. Okay, so before five eleven, light some candles. Light a candle or two, and say a blessing. Do a mitzvah. Give tzedakah before Shabbos. It's the custom is before we light candles to give tzedakah. Um, what other mitzvah? If you, yeah, what I do? Do a mitzvah. A mitzvah over the weekend. A, a weekend mitzvah. Why? In the, spirit of, in the spirit of Judah, in the spirit of va'avdi david melech aleim, in the spirit of my, my servant David will be king over them, in the spirit of action being the most important thing. Let's study, but let's then do an action that brings light into this world. Donna.
1: Um, just to clarify, so you said there was a brief time when we were united. Are those the two temple periods?
0: Beginning of the temple, first temple period.
1: Beginning of the first temple period.
0: Yeah, well, the split of the kingdom only lasted until the first temple was destroyed, because at that point, the 10 tribes were exiled and lost. So, yeah, we were unified for the second temple, but there was only a fraction of our people left.
1: So more towards the first temple.
0: The fir- when I'm referring to the to the fracturing, it's in the first temple era. David designed the temple, some and built a temple and his son already broke it. The kingdom of the North, just to put in perspective, the kingdom of the South is where the temple was. The kingdom of the North was so antagonistic to the kingdom of the South. I mean, they were both antagonistic to each other. I'm not blaming one or the other, but they put guards on the highways to make sure that no one in the Northern kingdom would make a pilgrimage. It's a biblical mitzvah to go to the temple for the holidays, they put guards and soldiers on the highway to make sure that no one from the north would would go to the temple. They didn't have the temple, so they, I mean, the north, so they couldn't. We don't have the temple, then you can't have it either. That was their. That was the, I mean, how do how do people think? Right? Just get into human psychology. Right? You, we, we, we split off from you. We're rivals. You have a temple. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna send our people to you. Not happening. And if somebody wants to, we're not gonna let them they set up their own altars don't ask that's how idolatry came in don't it's terrible stuff from a monotheistic jewish perspective terrible stuff went on uh whatever i mean this is there's our history it's all it's all in the books but my point was simply that it didn't last that long the unity didn't last that long now was there ever subsequent unity? yeah there was unity subsequently at some later point there was also unity and whatever but it's it's this ongoing process. The world is still fractured. Our people are still fractured. And so more than ever, more than ever, as as ever, we need Mashiach. Mashiach is the purpose of the, the theme of the Haftar is that what is Mashiach? It's healing. In one word, it's healing. And that's a good thing. All right, yeah, I'm going to also jump. Uh, good Shabbos, everyone. Be well, take care, and see you soon. Good Shabbos.
1: Shabbos.